Jesus never sought the crowd, the approval of the crowd, while his enemies were obsessed with the approval of the people. Jesus said this of the Pharisees, John chapter 12, verse 40, quoting Isaiah, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. And in verse 42, John explains, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. These Pharisees from this group. There were some of the Pharisees who heard Jesus who actually began to realize, this guy's for real. And they believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith. For fear, they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. That's pretty remarkable. Jesus never sought human praise. He marched to a different drum. Things are not always the way they look on the outside, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Listen to this story told by a Methodist preacher. His name was Donald English. He says there was a chain of large department stores in England called Lewis. This company wanted to enlarge one of their stores, but right beside it was a small church of Quakers. The board of directors of the large chain sent a letter to the small congregation saying, esteemed congregation, we would like to enlarge our store, but find that your small building is located on the property where we need to do the expansion. We are determined to accomplish this project, and so we are prepared to pay your asking price for the property. After some time, the board of directors of the large chain also received a letter. It reads as follows. We realize that you have interest in buying our property at the price we name, but we wish to inform you that we have been here much longer than you have, and we have no intention of leaving. We want you to know that we are willing to buy your property at the price you name. The letter was signed by Cadbury, the largest manufacturers of chocolates in England. So one little small church was very different than it looked like on the outside. When Jesus was leaving, he left a raggedy band of disciples. They seemed like a very small, insignificant group of which the world would pay little importance to. In John chapter 17, we have been looking at a prayer that Jesus prayed for these disciples and for future disciples, us among them. So I've dedicated three Sundays to looking at this prayer. Today we look at the last part of this prayer. I want to read it to you right now. It's John 17, verse 20 through 26. It divides up into three parts, which we will look at. The first part of the prayer, Jesus prays for unity, which he has asked before, but this seems to be the theme of the prayer all the way through, that there will be unity in his followers. The second part, he prays that we will experience his glory on earth. And when Jesus prays for his glory, he means the glory of the cross, the glory of humble service. When we think of glory, we think of accolades, we think of, of fame. When Jesus refers to glory, he's referring to humbly being a servant. Very different context. And then finally in this prayer, it ends with a real climax. Jesus makes an eternal promise to us. A promise that 
will encourage all of us. So let me read the passage, and we'll go through these three parts. John 17, verse 20 through 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. So Jesus was praying for us 2,000 years ago, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So when Jesus is praying this prayer, Gethsemane is still ahead, the cross is ahead, and the resurrection. It's important to understand that, that timeline because it helps us to feel the impact of this prayer. Let's take the first part, Christ's prayer for his followers to experience unity. That's in verses 20 and 21. Let me underscore here. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The unity is the, is the overarching theme of this prayer. The oneness of the church. Look in verse 21. He says that all of them may be one. In verse 22, he says that they may be one as we are one. In verse 23, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now this unity Jesus is praying for is modeled in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is a supernatural unity because we're not capable of being one. And we're talking the church universal here over the entire world. It is what God does for us. You ever met other believers that you've never met before? You walk into a service and you've never met them. They might even be speaking a different language, a different nationality, and yet you feel this common bond. It's because we share a divine nature when we come into the family of God that brings us into a common unity. Colossians 2.9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. 2 Peter 1.4, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may experience in the divine nature. All of us have experienced this divine nature having received Christ. The closer we draw to God, the closer we draw to Christ, the closer we are to one another. Imagine an inverted cone. So the cone is big at the bottom, comes to a point. As believers move toward God, they move closer together. We don't move closer together focusing on each other. We move closer together focusing on God. That's how our unity grows. Unity does not mean uniformity. 
if you brought together some of the greatest men in church history, if you brought Martin Luther and John Calvin, if you brought John Wesley, if you brought George Whitfield or, or Spurgeon or Moody or even Billy Graham, and you put them all together, they would have a lot of differences, a lot of theological differences, but there would be unity because they would all be brought together by their love of Christ. John Wesley, for instance, believed in the free will, and he preached that, that every person had free will. John Calvin believed in divine predestination. The two things are so different, it is incredible. But the thing that would bring two people on two extremes together is their love of Christ. Even when there is diversity, we're brought together because of how much we love Christ. This prayer is so powerful because Christ knew that in the church there would be great disunity. Too many believers think of uniformity, that people should think alike, they should have the same style, they should carry the same Bible, they should have the same likes and dislikes. But actually, that is disunifying. That actually brings about disunity. For instance, in our years in Tucumán, Argentina, I had this Argentine couple that we started growing close together. And they didn't have a Bible, never had a Bible, typical Catholic in name. So I bought them a Spanish Bible, the equivalent of what would be the living, living Bible, because it was easy to read. There was another uh, missionary from another denomination who lived in the neighborhood. We, we knew him, and, and they also knew this neighbor. So he brought them a Bible, would be the equivalent of the King James, except in Spanish, it's, it's Queen Valeria. It's old Spanish, not spoken, very hard to read. So when he found out that I had given them the Living Bible, he said, that's trash. He gave you trash. This is the real Bible. So these are not even Christians, just people who are open. You can imagine how confusing that was to them. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Different gifts. Thank the Lord that we have been given different personalities, different gifts, that we were born with some, and then the Holy Spirit uses other gifts in His family. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in every one, is the same God at work. So we're not only talking about unity in the body of Christ, we're talking about unity in the message. So for instance, the same message that the apostolic church, the church of the first century, the apostles that they preached, are we still preaching the same message? The unity of the message and the unity of believers are two of the things that Jesus is praying for in this prayer. We are never closer than when we are focused on God focused on his words, his message, and on who he is. And the biblical pursuit of unity is extremely important to the Lord. Look at verse 21. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This unity will actually testify to the world. In verse 23. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know 
that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this unity, if there is unity in the body of Christ, we use the word evangelical because that defines how we believe a person becomes a Christian. If you believe in your denomination that you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins and you believe that you are saved by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you're an evangelical, which crosses many different lines. But can there be unity across all those different lines? There can be, and there should be, and that's what Jesus prays for. And when there is, it validates Jesus. It makes Jesus attractive to the world. The old tendencies of blaming each other, of criticizing each other, have been in our nature ever since Adam blamed Eve for his participation in the fall. They're telling how many times Eve said, I can't believe you said that about me. <laughs> Why did you do this, Adam? Well, it's because of her. You gave her to me. It's a supernatural work. In verse 23, there's something very important there. He says, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So we should actually be able to experience God's love the same way God loved his son when we love each other and we have this unity in the body of Christ. Disunity causes atheism. It causes people to be completely repelled against Christianity. And unity is attractive. It actually attracts people to him. It's the converse. Jesus also prays that we will have a humble heart and we will want to be involved in lowly service, carrying our cross like he did. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Now that glory he's talking about, he talks about two different glories here. This is the earthly glory. In a moment, he'll talk about his heavenly glory. But this glory is the glory of getting your hands dirty, of serving one another. What Paul describes here in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So that's the glory Jesus is talking about. That's what he wants us to do. And in that service to him, it brings us together. In marriage, the goal of marriage is for two people to love each other enough that they're committed to each other to work on being connected over the years. Unfortunately, many marriages never achieve that or they lose it. Likewise, many in the church never experience this connection with their brothers and sisters. It's kind of a lowly service. It's them serving God. They could care less about their brothers or their sisters. Maybe there's some unity in their church, but there's certainly no unity out there beyond that. God actually wants us, Jesus in this prayer, is actually wanting us to live with a kingdom view. That the kingdom of God is so much bigger than our church, our denomination. It is his kingdom we're working for. It's a very sad thing when many churches, the only thing they can see is the short view. How big their numbers are, how great their success is. But God wants us to live with a kingdom view. 
In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told a parable, one of the 50-something parables he, he told, and those parables are so instructive because they teach us so much. So this parable starts out with a master, very wealthy master, calling three of his servants together. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Very important, recognizing the ability of each one, and that's representative in the kingdom of God. The one who received the five bags immediately went to work with what had been given to him. The one who had received the two immediately went to work and was very diligent. The one who received the one bag, he dug a hole and buried it. The master was gone for a very, very long time. But he came back and he called his servants together. And of course, he won an accounting with what he had given them. When he came to the one who had received the five, the master showed him what he had done and with the five, and he had multiplied it. The same with the two, he had multiplied it. When he called the third one, he pulled out the same talent because it was completely unused. It was buried. To the one who had received the five and the one who had received the two, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, this, this story is not about gold. It's about each of us and what we have been given because we all have been given talent. We all have been given personalities. We all have been given opportunities. We all have been given the grace of God in our lives. And you can put it to work and through lowly service as Christ did and begin to live for God and use that. Or you can simply bury it in a hole and be upset that you didn't get the five bags or the two bags and, and always wish for something you don't have. When the master called the one servant who, who had nothing to offer, he said, you wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten. The story is representative that God will settle accounts. He will hold us accountable. Many years ago uh, in Cordova, Argentina, I was going to go for lunch at a McDonald's. And I went in, stood on a very large McDonald's. I stood in line, and I ordered my lunch. And this really big one had an upstairs place. So I got my lunch. I went upstairs, and I was sitting up there eating. And all of a sudden, I remembered, I was just about done. And I remembered I had given the girl at the cash register the equivalent of a $50 bill. And I, and I had stuck the change in my pocket, and I pulled it out, and there was, there was like $5. And... Uh, I realized I was missing like 45 bucks. So I immediately went down and I asked for the manager. And I said, there was like, you know, really a lot of checkers there. And I said, I was right here. And I gave her $50. And I only got this much change back. And she says, well, the shift changes in an hour and a half. So when that shift changes, I'll count this register myself. And if there's 45 extra dollars, you be here, you're going to get it. Well, you can imagine, I was there. 
when the shift ended, standing there ready. And you know what? There was 45 extra dollars. And she said, sir, here's your money. The Bible explains that there will be an accounting. There's not going to be any mistakes about it. It will be an accounting where the master calls us. Everything will be settled. What Jesus expects from us is this lowly service without the ambitions of seeking the approbation of man, seeking the fame, just living for God. Whether anybody knows about what we do or, or acknowledges what we do, it's for God and God alone. The last part of this prayer is the most encouraging, which I hope will encourage you today and inspire you. You could call this Christ's promise to us. Let's begin with verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Now, just a moment, he spoke about glory on earth. That is the glory of humble service. But this glory is in heaven. There's earthly glory and there is eternal glory. One might be the earthly prayer. This is the heavenly prayer. Jesus is praying that someday in heaven, we're going to be able to see his glory, the glory he had before the earth was ever created. What we have been longing for when we get home, we're welcome home, that longing inside of us, we're going to see something that will dazzle our eyes. 1 John 3, 2, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What will it be like to see Jesus as he is in all his eternal glory? In Revelation 5, 1 through 14, you might say there's just a little, a little pulling back of the curtain to have just a peek of this glory in heaven, of an event that hasn't taken place yet. A vision, Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth, under the earth, could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels numbing thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 
Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Just a little inkling of his glory. This prayer really is about helping us get our priorities straight. When we're on earth, we should seek to serve God with all of our hearts and seek the unity wherever we are with our brothers. When we run into brothers and sisters of other denominations, there shouldn't be any, we're the only church and you're not saved. The ones who are going to heaven are the ones who actually believe that salvation comes by faith in Jesus alone. Sometimes I have met people with strong OCD, obsessive compulsive thoughts. It's surprising how common it is. We all have a little bit of it. But these are people who are obsessed with putting something right or doing something. I have found the best thing to help people with any kind of obsessive thoughts or obsessive behavior is to bring them back to the priority of people. Number one, God is the most important thing in our life. And number two, people are the most important thing on this earth. That's what the unity is all about. It's not hard to find unity if you realize your brother is so, so important. He's more important than the car. He's more important than the building. He's, no, he's more important. Your wife is more important than your job. Your kids are more important than the investments. God is more important than any accomplishment. When you set your priorities straight, you won't have any problem with holy service and you won't have any problem with unity. Now here is the eternal promise that Jesus makes his church, or maybe even eternal vow. Verse 25, righteous father, though the world does not know me, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. There it is right there. I have made you known and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So Jesus says, I have made myself known to these disciples and I will continue to make myself known to all the future disciples. That's a promise that Jesus has made to us. If your heart is open, like the chorus we were singing, open my eyes to your wonder. If your heart is open, God promises, Jesus promises to make God real to you. Make himself real. Christ will make God known to you. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. This prayer really is a prayer about reminding us of our priorities, of what is important. When you plug into God, God will guide you through your life because you will get messed up. You'll get lost. One time I was going to visit, actually the person I was going to visit is actually in here in the, in the church because I look at you and I'm reminded of this story. So I had never been to that person's house, and I had, this is several years ago when I, the GPS app had just come out on my phone, and I didn't trust it. So the GPS, I was in the subdivision, the GPS told me to make a right, and then my head told me that was wrong. So I made a left. 
I wandered around for 20 minutes, finally wound back at the exact same spot, and the GPS said, are you ready to listen to me? It didn't really say that, but I imagine it felt like it. So it said, make a right. I made a right. And within two minutes, I was in front of the house that I just wasted 30 minutes trying to find because I did not believe the GPS. Now, I have actually learned to follow. And 99.9% of the time, the GPS takes me where I want to go. I have stopped this. I'm smarter than you. And I usually wind up there. Every once in a while, I say to myself, I know, I know how to get there. And then I'm messing around. And I think, well, why did I say that? Get the GPS out and get me there. But the Holy Spirit is our GPS system. He wants to guide us through this life, guide you through being a father, guide you through being a mother, guide you through being a husband, a wife. This is complicated stuff. Guide you through working on the job with coworkers. Guide you with living life. Life gets very complicated, very difficult, and we get messed up. And Jesus makes a promise, I will continue to make myself known to you. I will make my Father known to you. That's my promise. I'm going to take him up on that promise. So several years ago, we were living up in, we're from Central California where, where we were raised, but we were living in Northern California about 60 miles above Sacramento up in the mountains. And the closest airport was Sacramento. And Eric and I were flying to Argentina. So the family plus parents, my parents, and several families, like five cars. We drove, we were heading to the Sacramento airport, and when we got a few miles there, the freeway was closed. Later I found out there'd been some, some kind of shooting going on, they just closed the whole freeway. The airport was probably like five, six miles away, but there was no way to get to the airport. And we're just sitting there. And our flight will be leaving. It will, it will, if we miss the flight, it will mess us up big time. So I just picked up the phone and, and asked for a number from the control tower. And they gave me a number. And I said, is this control tower? And they said, yes. And I said, well, I'm stuck out here on the freeway. Is there any way to get to the airport? And the guy says, yeah, I'll guide you. So I got over on the shoulder, I learned that from Puerto Ricans, and I drove to the next exit, got off, and there was a bunch of people started following, not just the five cars, but a ton of maybe 15, 20 cars followed me, like this guy knows where he's going. And this guy, the control tower, he was taking me through little streets, and we're just going, and I noticed the cars start dropping off, like this guy doesn't know where he's going. They just start dropping off, dropping off, in about 15 minutes, we drove into the airport from a very back way. But the guy in the control tower knew what he was doing. It seemed like it was a very, very wrong way to be going because you would go down a street, turn, go another street. I mean, like, there's no way we're going to get there. And we just showed up. That's what Jesus is promising here. I promise to make myself known to you. I promise to make my Father known to you. I never saw this before, and I've studied this prayer. That verse 26 is now going to become one of my all-time favorite verses. I've just added it to the list this morning. Fawn, would you come? I want you to sing that second song. And I'm going to invite us to come and stand today. And we're going to, we're going to say, Lord, I want to take that promise. I want you to make yourself known to me every, 
every single day. Would you just come forward? And as we we'll sing the song through once, and then we're going to pray and ask God to lead us and guide us in every facet of our lives, no matter how complicated or how difficult, no matter what situations we're facing.